The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and the only place you can hear the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you from uh, Manaus, Brazil, in the Amazon. Uh, listen, this is from Richard Fortas, a joke direct from Richard Fortas. Uh, what's the difference between a well-dressed bicyclist and a not well-dressed bicyclist? Attire. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> good one Duff still in Brazil with Guns N' Roses uh, when he called that one in they're in South America until next month then they head to Mexico and Asia and they'll finish 2022 in Australia and New Zealand and another band that's been on tour for most of the year Journey they're starting up again today Friday September 17th to squeeze in a few more dates before the holidays they're doing one show in Nevada tonight a couple dates in Mexico then closing out their touring year with a two night stand in Hawaii but don't worry, Journey's not taking too much of a break. they got huge plans for next year, 2024 and beyond. And you're about to hear Journey founder and guitarist Neil Sean even has 2025 mapped out for the band. We're talking about touring the Journey set list and while they're playing their biggest song, Don't Stop Believing, third in the set. We talk about the popularity of that song and what it means to Neil, why he thinks it's more popular than ever today, I believe that. Neil's also got great stories about hanging out with The Who bass player John Entwistle and almost starting a band with him, spending time with Eddie Van Halen in the 80s and seeing him play at Donington. And Journey's coming up on their 50th year anniversary, so Neil talks about forming the band out of Santana, how one-time Santana guitar tech Herbie Herbert came to manage them, and how he hopes he can get Santana to tour with Journey as part of Journey's big 50th anniversary tour. And of course, Neil's talking a lot about the new Journey album, Freedom, which is out now. It's a great record and features a lot of singing by Neil himself. He talks about what it was like to sing and how much producer Narada Michael Walden helped him overcome his fear of singing, gave him confidence on the mic. Neil also has stories about recruiting Randy Jackson to return to Journey and play on the new record. Music stories, great time with Journey guitar player Neil Sean. He's a great guy and his great interview as always. And he's right here starting now on Talk is Jericho. We can, we can just jump right into this. It's funny because in this new age of, you know, post-lockdown shows, it's very rare you get to see your friends after the gig. <laughs> and we just saw you play in Tampa, and then afterwards, like, well, good show, dude. See you later. You know, that's kind of something that's gone away for a while. 
Yeah, I mean, who ever thought that we'd be like in this COVID, you know, situation we're dealing with still like more longer than two years? It's like nuts. It's fucking challenging, man. We did very, very well out on tour this year as far as everybody staying healthy. And then finally, one of the guys went down and we had to cancel last four shows of the first run. But, you know, we got through most of it and it was challenging, man. Different road group guys going down every other day. I mean, you know, it's almost like the story is like somebody goes to a ball game or they go out to dinner. Oh, they're going to be sick. And it was like that. Every time somebody went to a ball game, had a hot dog, whatever, they came back and they were sick. So I was like, this is freaking nuts. Well, it's hard. It's hard, too, because, you know, like you said, when you have to cancel four shows, a lot of times when you're on tour, what people might not understand is those four shows could be the profit for the tour. The rest of the shows pay for the tour, and the last week is the profit. Exactly. You know, the profit was substantial, and so you <laughs> have to lose it. We're, we're making it up, but we're not making it up until next year, okay? Then the expenses become that accrue, you know, are much, that much. That's right. All because it's so... I'm fine, man. I'm going to go in the audience. (laughs) (laughs) Now, do you, do you miss seeing like people that, you know, on tour? Cause I know some bands probably prefer not to have to hang out after the gig, but are you the type of guy that likes to hang out before and say hi to people? Do you miss that? Uh, You know, I miss close friends and family when they come. We've had it so tightly locked down that we don't even allow that. Family members are on the side. I go over and wave and say hi, but, you know, we're not even doing that, you know, in order to be able to stay out. I just heard some news today from, you know, uh, the CEO of uh, AEG, who we're with right now. He was going to come over and have lunch with me today. We're going to talk about uh, next year because I'm managing now. You know, it's like I'm, I'm doing it all. It's like nuts. But your managing journey now. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah, we did. All right. This whole year, man. And it's been, you know, actually, I think it's going better than ever. We got more of a grip on everything and sort of getting out of the weeds, you know, and the people that are deep in it that don't need to be there. It's a lot major cleanup, man. When you're, when you're not hands-on, that's all I know. We just uh, attained, actually, my wife and I, we attained the trademark. For everything journey, merchandise-wise, it was never done. Wow. We were live for years, since 1973. You want to think about how much money that is? You know, I don't even like talking about money because I'm not, I'm the type of guy that if I make money, I'm going to spread it around or I'm going to spend it. I'm going to have fun with it because I don't cherish it like it's, I'm never going to make it again. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's just the idea to me that now knowing what type of business we did this year, now that I got a grip on the merch, just live, I mean, was insane. And, I mean, we've never done better, even going back to the heyday in the 80s when we were selling more merch and making more money on merch every night that we were playing, right? <laughs> right. Obviously, in the 80s, everybody... Made a lot less money in the economy, you know, everything goes up. Ticket prices go up, everything gets more expensive, which is a drag for everyone. But it, that's the reality of it. But it was such major cleanup. 
I'm still there, man, and, and get removing some people, getting new people in, and it takes some time uh, to do it all. It's taken years, actually. I've been working on the, the trademark thing for the last nine years. That's unbelievable. Just the fact that you said that you got ripped off on that, because you hear stories about that, like from the '60s, like the Beatles got ripped off, or Black Sabbath gets ripped off. But here you are, Journey, Neil Sean in 2022, just getting that trademark back. You know, it's so funny, but all the managers in the industry and the accountants that work in the music industry, mm -hmm. at the end of the year, if you make a check, and I'm talking everything that you did live and everything that is selling in retail. And you know, if you if I go into, it doesn't matter where I go, where I'm at, if I'm Potham, Tennessee, little gas station, stop to take a peek, whatever, I go in, there's journey swag all over the place. <laughs> we are yeah. everywhere all over the world. And it's been like that for, for years. And so, you know, I started going, this is not happening. They made it sound like if we made 60 grand here, we were doing great, it was a great year. Or if we made, you know, 600K at the end of the year to split, you know, that that was, you know, a phenomenal number. And we did so good. Well, now knowing after just doing 40 shows and what we did merch-wise, right. it wasn't even close. Not even. I've been spending all this time taking everything down from retail and sending out notices. And now we're just going to get back into retail. But now I've got, like, total control of it. It's a, a massive industry. I mean, there's billions, uh, you know, managers like to make you believe all your money is going to be made by playing live. And there's really no money in, in album sales anymore. There's no money in, you know, swag and you're lucky to get what you get. And, you know, you know the whole story, man. You're in it. Yeah, yeah. And now what I find is retail is where the ballistic dollar is at. <laughs> there's billions in retail. I mean, you know, somebody's made billions off us all these years. <laughs> Jeez, yeah. Well, and I didn't mean to cut off your story earlier. You mentioned that you were going to be talking with the AEG head to plan for next year already. That's amazing because the summer is basically just ending, but you're already talking about next summer's plans. We're already planning for 23 and 24, mm -hmm. two years ahead of time. And next year, you know, when Billy Idol couldn't make the tour, he was having some sinus issues and needed to go in and, and have some things taken care of. I suggested to to bring in Toto because, you know, Luke Thurl and I have been friends all these years. I used to hang with him and Eddie, you know, yeah. a lot in L.A. Freaking nuts. But <laughs> <laughs> I was the older one that would bail sooner than anyone. You know, <laughs> you know I love Ed and, and Luke and uh, Luke um, and I have remained friends all these years. I always have total respect for him as a guitarist. And, and you know, what they've done as a band. Mm -hmm. Lots of streaming. and They're right up with us in some areas. And I always thought, you know, we played a few shows together in the 80s. I mean, I saw a poster uh, that showed up on Facebook one day from Bill Graham's Day on the Green. And it was us Santana and Toto. And I went, wow, that is a bill right there. And so I, I suggested to CAA, to our new agent there, I said, grab Toto. And he says, I don't know, man. He says, you know, they're booked to play uh, theaters right now. And I said, just 
just do it, man. I'm telling you, I know what I'm talking about. It made a managerial move. <laughs> and I said, it's going to fit better than most of the people that we played with, except for maybe Death Leopard in the past two decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our fans are going to love them. Their fans are going to love us. And so, you know, Toto has done extremely well abroad because they worked that market forever. We never really did because management never wanted us to go there and they never promoted us directly over there. I have a feeling when we go this next year with Toto, we're going to find all our fans that we never saw before because nobody, nobody knew we were there when we were there. Right. And we've got fans all over the world, for Christ's sake. And so I made a deal with Luke. I said, look, if, if I bring you out, we do um, the arenas with us, which I think we're going to, we could sell out by ourselves and do we means with. They weren't willing to take that chance with me right off the cuff because this is brand new situation, right? Mm-hmm. I went from Foundation to AEG. And even though um, Jay Marciano, you know, loves me and we have a great relationship, he wanted to see the numbers first. And so we did astronomical numbers, you know. Took about a week for it to snowball. I hired a bunch of photographers and had them out the whole time taking pictures, showing size of the audience, you know, us every night, thanking the audience. I was doing all the social media and all that every night. Yeah. And it just snowballed. You know, it worked. You know, they said everybody saw it and went, wow, I got to get there. And within the first week, we sold out everywhere. Yeah. We did amazing business. I mean, I, I really do believe that we lifted Toto in the United States to a whole different place. And so I, I said, Luke, if we do this and we agree to do this together, you have to do the same thing with us in Europe <laughs> and your markets, you know. And so we'll be opening up for them over there. Really? Yeah. And but promoters, it's funny, Luke at the manages Toto as well. Oh. <laughs> and so he's telling me he's talking to the promoters, they're saying, Oh my God, you're gonna come over with Journey. They said we, we could probably go into a stadium with just the two bands. Mm-hmm. So I'm going, Yeah, I had a clue that I was correct about my gut instinct. The more I'm getting into it, Chris, the more I'm finding out that everything I felt in my gut that was going on all these years with different managers and it's just, it's all true. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. There's more and more bands playing stadiums now. Obviously, you got Motley Crue and Def Leppard and Poison. I just saw the Chili Peppers basically on their own in L.A. a couple weeks ago, 60,000 people. It's almost like if you plan it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. To me, Journey is prime stadium material. I know you have in the past, but it seems like it's almost time you could take a Toto or a Billy Idol or or both and do a stadium run at some point. We're heading that way, man. We've um, decided... There's still some other cards that I'm playing that, that I was going to meet with uh, Jay today, but unfortunately he uh, couldn't make it because there's been an 
you know, I, I guess Justin Bieber or something had to cancel his tour oh, okay. today and he's having more issues. And so he said, I'm stuck at the desk and I got to take everything down. I was like, sorry, man. We'll talk another day. Yeah. You know, we've already got 40 shows. They're going to start around the same time that we did this year in February. Going with Toto again. And we're going to do secondary markets in the United States and and do uh, some of the main markets that we didn't hit this last time. And then they take a little break and then we're going to go overseas. We're going to go over to Europe. We're going to go to Japan. And possibly South America. And what I'm I'm trying to make happen, and we're, we'll see if it happens, and it seems like Carlos Santana is in 100%, <laughs> really close with him for all my life, you know. I kind of want to get him on some better grounds and get him inside in a more comfortable atmosphere because he's playing, you know, these sheds, and they're like, you know, 115 outside. Right. And it, it's so much better inside, you know. Get a controlled atmosphere, and it'd be great. It'll be my 50th anniversary with Journey, right? Mm-hmm. The only existing guy that started with Herbie for 50 years next year. And so my my idea is that what better thing would it be to end up, you know, with Carlos and Toto in some of the bigger markets and stadiums in Europe, South America, uh, wherever we go. At the end of 23, you know, go into that place like that. And if I can get Carlos's manager on with my agent that I've been trying to do for a while. <laughs> and Carlos is saying, yeah, I want to do it. And Michael's saying, I talked to Carlos and he's like, I don't know. You know, if you want to do it, I'm like, um, okay. There's a little bit of politics going on here. Sure. I suggested to CAA and my AR agent and Jay, that I think that we could open up the first 40 shows and do a longer run if we added Santana to the bill in some cities. Uh, just try it out. Try my idea. Because we did it before and it was very successful. I mean, we Santana, Journey, and the other acts that I think was Doobie Brothers and Miller and Tower Power in San Francisco. We did ATT, Ballpark. We sold that four hours, but the ticket was billed as such that we're going to intermingle with Santana. Raleigh would come on with us and do some uh, the earlier material and stuff with him and Perry singing, you know, from the, the, the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I would go and then we'd do something all together. It's that same kind of vibe. And I think, you know, for a 50th anniversary, that kind of fits. Yeah. We came out of Santana. Really, you know, I started Journey from that. You know, went and played with Greg Rico and Larry Graham for a second. And that was really ass-kicking, funky, heavy, English-influenced, you know, back yeah. and bricks and everything that I was weaned on with Larry singing lead. And then he got cold feet in the last second. And he wanted to do more of a straightforward, you know, funk thing r thing, and he did Graham Central Station. Uh, and I played in that for a while and hung out in Oakland and learned how to play guitar backwards because I never learned how to play the funk first. <laughs> so I went from lead guitar to going chitty, 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 chitty. Yeah, right, yeah. And all that funky chicken stuff, you know. So that never happened. And at that point, Herbie Herbert, it was like in the middle of 72, 
And Herbie Herbert, our first manager, was our guitar tech uh, in Santana. So Carlos's guitar tech did my guitar. And he was like, really, at that point, the manager that Santana had was very dysfunctional. And he had drug issues. And so Herbie was kind of wearing all hats. And so I seen him, you know, doing managerial role, taking care of Carlos and I, then running to the, the side of the stage and do monitors for the band, <laughs> then running out in front and making sure that it sounded good out in front. You know, when he said, I want to be a manager and I'm going to start a management company and I want to manage you and I want to, you know, wrap a band around your guitar plan, I said, Sure, I was like really young, and I was like, I don't know what I want to do, but this sounds cool to me, you know. And that's really where the nucleus started a journey before any other members even came in. And then by another month two that went by, he introduced me to Ross, George Tickner, you know, who played rhythm guitar on the first album, and, and you know, wrote a lot of the material on our very first album. Then it was, you know. Greg came in later after that, Greg Raleigh. And I was playing before Greg came in, I was playing with Prairie Prince, you know, from the tubes. From the tubes, yeah. I loved playing with Prairie. And that was a major catastrophe. You know, I couldn't get him to, to sway him our way. And he was very dedicated to the tubes. And, you know, you had to admire the guy for that. Yeah. But what a phenomenal rock drummer. And so we were looking for a drummer and I went with Herbie and, and we went to uh, Berkeley Community Theater and we saw Frank Zappa, you know, with Flo and Eddie, George Duke, Flo and Eddie and Ainsley Dunbar. <laughs> and I was like, holy, I go, look at this drummer, man. He was like an octopus. You know, he was really mathematical, Ainsley in a way, you know, rudimentally. And so I'd see Frank giving him all these hand signals on stage, like we're going to go into 6A right now, the 3, 4, 7, 8, whatever. They would go into these weird time signatures at just a spur of a moment. You know, Frank put up his hand, he'd give a hand signal, and they'd go. You know, and I was like, this is just unbelievable. This guy's incredible. So we managed to get uh, talk to Ainsley and asked him if he wanted to join a band. And he said yes, being an equal band member, and he came out. And he stayed at my folks' apartment in one of the spare bedrooms with me. He you know, moved out from England, and that's where it all happened. It started, you know. So I think, you know, the 50th anniversary would be cool to revisit some of that stuff. I have a, a bigger idea and plan that I want to do, but it won't happen really on the 50th, which is next year for me. It probably happen a couple of years down the line because then I want to go and I want to do. Uh, evenings with inside uh, arenas and do like the three and a half hour show. And that's where I'm really going to have some fun sticking this set together. Uh, because, you know, you got 90 minutes to play. You got you to gotta keep the fans that are buying the tickets happy. You got to play the hits. And you're trying to play material. We got a great new album out there. You only squeeze in a couple new songs. Yeah, You take put one in, you got to take one out. It's very difficult, man, with 90 minutes. Even though that sounds like a long period of time to play, it's not. It's not. Three and a half hours for me, I could I could actually do like five hours, but everybody wanted to kill me. <laughs> I love it. You know, I just love the jam aspect. And when I tested it out, you know, for a short 
period of time on uh, a different Journey audience that came to see uh, Journey Through Time shows that I did with Raleigh and Dean Castanovo and uh, Marco Mendoza and John Varn. The last show we played before it was politically taken down, I was supposed to do like a month worth of touring and they just pulled the rug out, man. It was starting to get too big too fast. But the last show we played was in the Wilton Theater in L.A. We sold out in the second plot. The show was on fire. Man. Mm-hmm. I did a lot of experimenting that night, and I decided I was going to press it as far as I could take it, as far as guitar playing. Only stuff that I would do in my house by myself when I'm looping with keyboards and trying to learn how to play really outside stuff like Miles Davis type stuff, the McLaughlin you know, did with them like Bitches Brew. And how to play outside of the box, I started learning how to do that and buckling down on that during the pandemic. And a little bit before that, I started learning a lot by just playing keyboards. You know, the white keys, black keys, I don't have a freaking clue what I'm doing, but I know what I'm hearing, you know. And then I figured out where I could go on the guitar. And it's just sideways. You kind of play everything that looks wrong. And then land on some blue notes. And then it sounds bitching. <laughs> and I stretched out. We did, you know, La Di Da Day. Then it went into a drum solo, bass solo from Marco. And then we went into Jack Johnson, you know, Miles Davis. Uh, that's in the shuffle group. And I played like 15-minute guitar solo, just totally outside. And I said, this is either going to go right over the head or they're going to eat it up, you know. Mm. And they went nuts. They loved it. And I went, wow, we could really be the new jam band as well as the hiss band. It mm. could do these festivals. And I've already talked to Marciano and CAA about it. You know, I um, trademarked Journey Music Festival years ago because I've seen this in my mind and my brain for forever. The sights, you know, I see things like maybe 10 years ahead of time. Mm. I told, I explained to him what I thought it was about, and it's kind of like we're I'm heading. You know, I think we'll head. It would just be, you know, kind of our version of what the dad have been doing for years and fish have been doing for years. These guys, though, I mean, you know, yeah, selling out a stadium is is freaking awesome. You know, I mean, who can do that? Who has that kind of power? Yeah, and even arena, but to to pull 150,000, 160, 180,000 people a show, that's a whole different place, man. Right. And at that point, you know, I've been watching it closely. Um, you do a lot more work on your website and you do a lot more work with YouTube and people really working it. And you do a lot more work switching the setup every night and not playing the same thing. You got to switch it out and you got right. people guessing and you got to jam a lot too in between which I, I love you know so I don't have a problem with that and you put it live and you let everybody that joins your web you know they get free performances every night and so that's what the dad has been doing for years it all makes sense you know it's a great idea though because we've never had a band with two separate entities like you said if it's journey here's the hits journey and then you go out as the journey, jam band journey. As long as people know the difference, they'll know what they're getting into. 
And they would go nuts to see a, a three and a half hour Neil Sean journey show. And the ones that want to come and see you do faithfully can come the next trip, you know? Well, you know, we, we tried doing it years ago when Steve Jerry was in the band. But what we did wrong is we did it in a chronological order. We played the set. We went first album, second album, third album, and showed the history like that. But the fans, it completely went over their head. So I remember that when I went to do it with, you know, just a very few uh, Journey Through Time shows that I did, and I mixed it up and I played both. And so I, I started out with I'm Gonna Leave You, which is like an ass-kicking shuffle off the second, you know, our second album, Looking to the Future, 5-4 shuffle uh, with a weird signature, <laughs> but it used to just kill live. So we started our show like that. People were going nuts. Then I went into something familiar. You know, I played a hit mm -hmm. off of Escape or Frontiers. Then I go back and I play something older and mix the setup like that so you don't lose anybody. So people that are not familiar uh, with the older stuff, you pull them back in. And you take them outside and you pull them back in. It's kind of like what I experienced in uh, as a kid growing up, you know, what I consider seeing the greatest bands in the world, you know, I, I would go to Winterland or the Family Dog or Fillmore West in San Francisco, right? And I see the Who. I want to see the Who all the time. They're one of my favorite bands to go see. And it was different always, you know. And I love the aspect that they were just like, you know, with Keith Moon and John Entwistle. In, in Townsend and Daltrey, they played familiar parts of the songs. Then they just cut loose and it would go yes. loose abandonedness. And even when I talked to Eddie Van Halen about it years ago, we talked about it. You know, I showed up one year in Donington when Van Halen was one of the, the headliners there. There's pictures on the internet where you see with John Entwistle, myself and Eddie, and it was then married to Valerie. And so you see those pictures, and I was hanging out with John Entwistle at that time, and we were considering doing a band together. Oh, You know, the Who were not working at that time. And so he invited me to come to his house uh, in Surrey, England. He was way out in the country. I show up at this house, man, and he has these gray wolfhounds. He's in this castle, freaking, you know, 60-room old castle and the dogs are the size of horses but they look small next to the house they look like a regular cell <laughs> i pull up uh in a limo to pick me up and i'm hanging out with him there and um, we're writing trying to write and uh we didn't get much done uh we ended up hanging out more and you know just getting high and acting stupid but you know i said hey eddie is going in Boston. let's go check him out you know, I talked to Ed before I told Entwistle, I was with John. You know, Eddie told me that, you know, Live at Lee's is one of the main albums that influenced him to come up with the stuff that he came up with for Van Halen. The loose abandonedness, that recklessness mm -hmm. that I experienced with The Who, that I saw with The Faces, with Rod Stewart. I love The Faces with Ron Wood. Those two bands were the best party bands as a kid for me to go see. I loved them. I just loved it. It was such a good time. And they were all loose. And they just kind of went with the flow. 
And they played the songs, but they jammed and they had a good time. People just loved them for that. Then I saw Zeppelin. I didn't recognize half the set Zeppelin played. Little bits and pieces. Right. But then they went on these excursions in between. And, you know, it's so funny. In this day and age, when you got a manager, like modern day managers, they, they look at the audience every song you play. And if the audience doesn't go absolutely ballistic, at the end of one song, they go, take that song out. Put it in. <laughs> but what I experienced when I saw Hendrix in Winterland and I saw Zeppelin in Winterland, nobody stood up. The whole show. They sat down. The whole show. And we're like, <laughs> everybody's like stoned out. And they're watching and they're sitting on the ground and they're going, wow, what a trip. And I'm thinking to myself, why I wonder if people are digging this, you know? It's like light claps after every song, even if it was a hit song or a whole lot of love or whatever. Then at the end of the night, they go, ape shit. Mm. I'm re recalling all those times. And then what the managers had told me, like, you know, take that out. They don't like that. It's not necessarily so. And so I'm ready to break all the rules again and give kids what they want. Because you know what? I'm seeing, we have five generations now, Chris. I look out in the audience. Man, it's getting younger and younger. And when we played our first shows in Chicago this year, uh, we did the two shows in the Aragon Ballroom, which we did three and a half hour shows with intermission on both nights, you know, before we did Lollapalooza and headlined that. We headlined Lollapalooza. I didn't know what to expect because that was like, this is not usually in my mind. Right. And what I've heard from the past, we're not that alternative band, rock band. We came out on stage, man, and they were all teenagers. They were, it was packed. We had like 120,000 people there. Post Malone was on the bigger stage at the same <laughs> time that we were playing. And I heard that everybody migrated to our side. Now <laughs> they put us on a small stage. Because at that time, we still had a lot of politics going on, and uh, the promoter was a subsidiary to Live Nation, so they didn't want us to think that we were worth shit. Jay Monsanto told me a great story. The CEO from AEG said that some of our ex-guys that worked for us and our old management came up to him when they found out that we went over there, and I managed to get out of the clenches of that, uh, that they were going to lose their apps. You're going to be selling $20 tickets and you're going to have to pay for the place and you're going to so lose your ass. Don't do it, Jay. Jay, like, love going back to him and saying, we sold out the whole tour. <laughs> yeah. And you want to see the numbers? The numbers are incredible. Right there is just proof, you know, that sometimes, man, you just got to follow your gut instinct and pay attention, you know. Took me all this many years, you know. Till I actually just went, this is wrong. And I fought with management constantly. You know, I fought for this band. And I went up against the toughest guys, man. I mean, you know, honest to God, one of the biggest guys in the world to go up against, and it was me against everyone. They all threatened to sue me. They all threatened to do this. They all threatened to take me down, tortured me daily, in every which way you can possibly think. Some of it's still going on, but I've gotten such mm. tough skin. You're a fighter, man. I saw you got like, you know, pretty fucked up the other night. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get, for you want to get where you want to go, 
you got to take a beating once in a while, and then you get up, and then you give it right back. That's right. That's what the story is, man. And so I just, my wife has been like, you know, like so strong for me to go through the whole thing with me and very, very smart. You know, she tapped into a different part, the brain, just like I did. And you go there when you realize that attorneys are not being straight with you and accountants are not being straight with you and everybody's lying. And they all threaten you. They like to threaten you and make try these scare tactics, you know. If you do that, you're going to lose everything you own. You just go, I'm doing it. And they did that with the trademark with me. Our own trademark attorney we had told me, I'm going to sue the shit out of you. And I said, fuck you, okay? <laughs> and so he, he threatened the trademark attorney that we found that was outside of the box. They came in, they threatened his family, had 10 kids. Jeez. It's, you know, like shit you see in the movies, man. Mm -hmm. And that's how they keep hooks in people and keep control of them. And I was at the point where I'd been controlled so long and knew everybody was lying that I just went, I'm not going to live like this anymore, man. I want to do what I want to do. And I trust myself more than I trust anybody what they're telling me I can do right now. And so I've now proven that I can do it by myself. And now also I really need is a day-to-day -day person to come in to, to pick up some of the slack for all the work that my wife and I do. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Well, the cool thing too is, as you mentioned, it's it's all of the stuff that you're taking charge of, and also still putting out new material that's really great. I mean, the new record is Freedom. The, the, actually, the song that I like my favorite is Come Away with Me. That's just the one that I dig. And your guitar playing is always great. How important is it to you though to make new music? Because there's a lot of bands at Journey's level and less that just don't want to do new records anymore. Paul Stanley recently said he'll never write another song again. Obviously, you feel differently. I was met with the same resistance from the band itself, you know, every member in it. You know, Steve Smith, for one, he lost me, man. I mean, you know, I'm the one, when, when Dean wasn't there, all there 100%, I suggested to get Smith back. When I got him back, he's an excellent drummer. You know, everybody knows he's like the professor. Mm -hmm. You know, he's going to tell you what you're doing wrong. He's like snooty jazz guy. You know? <laughs> yeah. He is a monster, you know. In his own right, I wouldn't say he's a rock drummer anymore, but a lot of knowledge over every aspect of drumming. You know, he lost me one day, and uh, we are having a talk in my room, and I said, you know, I really want to do some material. And he goes, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to do any new material. I'm not interested in making any new journey music. He says, I'm just here to collect a check. Oof. I went, okay, well, thanks for telling me that. <laughs> From that moment on, I'm like, I'm out, man. Because you know what? I got to move forward. And I can't just do it with solo records. I, if I'm going to be steering this mothership 
and I'm still the main guy in the ship. The only guy has been there from the get go. I feel like we're not done and we're not done. That's it. And anybody who doesn't want to go along with it, you're going to be in court with me. That's it. <laughs> you know, I went through it with those guys. My wife and I are the one who managed to get into court. Okay. Everybody else was telling me, you're never going to get into court. It's going to take you two, three years. And had I listened to them, we wouldn't have been on tour this last year. Mm. You know, we filed a motion and got into a small court in, in Contra Costa where um, our ex-bases filed it against us. Was he trying to file the trademark of Journey or, or what was the what was the lawsuit? There was like a big grab thing that tried to happen when people found out that I was really onto it, you know, the trademark, and it was going to go down. Gotcha. Then they really tried to push me out. Ah, I gotcha. Jeez. And they wanted to take over, and they had this whole plan that, you know, we're going to construct. We'll go into court. Okay, got into court. Now what are we going to do? <laughs> okay, so they constructed the deal to where I had to come up with a lot of money, you know, to pay them off within one year in order to get the better price. And if I don't pay them up, then it goes up 20% every year. So they never thought that I'd be able to come up with that K to pay them off. And through the good new acquaintances I made and the belief they had in me, I came up with it and I paid them off. They gave us an outrageous deal, you know. They're such good people, man. All the people that I've surrounded myself with business-wise right now, almost everybody, the accountants still, I'm looking, man. <laughs> I'm ready to, to, to throw a suit at one of them right now. Like on Monday, if they don't pay me my back money, they owe me. Jeez. It's a daily fight, man. You know, in these times, so difficult, man, just to go out there and play and make things happen, but let alone if you saw the number of obstacles that I have to take on every day that my wife helps me with, we have an assistant that helps us, you would just go, there's no way. This guy's even going to be able to play on stage, let alone create new music. But people ask me that, and I go, the music to me is the savior of it all. And the creativity is the savior. It's like going to, you know, if you need a psych man to... Get your head out of the weeds. I mean, that is what it is. Sure. That's the therapy, yeah. And so when the pandemic hit, nobody knew we were going to be stuck inside for, for two years and not be able to tour. So I got busy. I just started writing. You know, I started, you know, looping a lot, uh, learning how to play more keyboards. I mean, the first song that we did, that was me playing keyboards. And I played a lot of keyboards on this whole record. I overdubbed. Narda, I chose to do the album with Narda and Randy Jackson. Luckily, Narda and I were in the same city in Marin County. So I could go to a studio and I could cut live guitar with live drums. So the album's got that live feel. Yeah. I didn't want that clinical sound where drums have no ambience and, you know, guitar is just flat. And mm -hmm. I wanted a live sound because that's what we sounded like when we were playing in the room. I said, so let's use the room now. Mike, you know, let's go Motown. Let's go Led Zeppelin. You know, you put the the stereo condenser mics up in all different corners of the room. You do a little tight miking with the right mics, and you mostly use the overheads. You want that big sound. That's where you get it from. So we would write every day. It was off the cuff, man. Like, come away with me. You said that. 
you know, I touched on that aspect of our album, the funkier, heavier rock stuff, uh, one day with, I had the riff in my head of the beginning of Rain with a whammy pedal that I never use whammy pedals. I just don't. Because I felt like everybody in the world uses these now, and the guitarists always wait, like an octave above. And then I was like, you know. Yeah. And Tom Morello, he's one of the, the kings of it, using it in a right. really different way. And so I just never, I tend to go away from stuff that everybody else is doing. I don't want to do it. <laughs> dress one way, I don't want to dress like that. <laughs> I don't want to do the, the flavor of the month. So I never did it. And I went, well, it's either a Wawa or it's a whammy pedal. And so I brought the whammy pedal in and I just had, it was full, full of dust. You know, I never used it in my <laughs> studio. Nana goes, what do you want to do today? And I go, well, I get this idea for this grindy, sleazy, like greasy vibe, man, that's kind of like a, a heavy Chaka Khan, Rufus, uh, Prince, <laughs> Sly mixture. And so I just started to rip. But it was, you know, more electric. And the riff was more like Cream-like or Hendrix-like, my influences, you know, from them. Mm. And we just started playing. There was no song. He said, let's, I go, let's just jam on it. So uh, they started Pro Tools. We ran through it, one take, is what's on the album. And the way I constructed it was the way it went down when we played it, when we jammed it. That's cool. And it doesn't really make any sense when I went back to relearn it. Because I didn't, I never learned it. But <laughs> yeah. I just jammed to it. And I went down to five, you know, and then went down to F and went up to B and then back to E or A and just jammed through it. And then, so we laid it down and played a live guitar solo that's on the end and in the middle. No bass. Then I went, okay, I'm going to go put some bass on it. And I did my, my Jack Bruce thing that I like to do. <laughs> yeah. And I did a lot of Stone in Love. You know, I started walking around the guitar. It got kind of a fuzzy Marshall bass sound and demoed it up. Then I played the B3 on it. <laughs> I mean, that's me doing like the Raleigh stuff. And then I did the horns. You hear the slide horns. Jeez, kind of everything. The, and so I did those. I overdubbed the horns uh, from the keyboard. Then I just took a little Mutron on the guitar and did a, a whack. In the B sections, went out and Narda uh, sang most of that one. He went out and just improv sang, but him and I kind of improv through the whole record singing. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the songs I sang. You know, he did a, a bit here, but I did a lot of it, and I just went out. And he goes, I was really kind of shy about it, but he goes, he kept handing me a mic. You know, we'd go lay down a drum track and. It, and the guitar track before I worked on it, he goes, sing me what you're hearing. I'm like, oh, his producer that does Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey, Aretha Franklin, killer vocalist, right? I said, I'm not singing that. <laughs> <laughs> and then he kept on hand, handing it to me, and I would go, okay, I'll try something. So I tried something, and I was scat. He goes, oh, that's pretty cool. And so he instilled confidence in me. And then before you know it, he couldn't get the mic out of my hand. <laughs> we're listening to the track, and our engineer, Jim Reisel, is working at Pro Tools. And we're both in the back of the room 
listening through the monitors. He's got a mic and I got a mic. And we're fighting <laughs> for what money is going to be, you know? And so it was a gas and like all the stacked afterglow, like the song that Dean sings, yeah. was the last song that I brought in. I wrote it one day in my house with acoustic guitar and I just turned on because my new cassette player, you know, the little iPhone. Of course. There's thousands and thousands of ideas in here like I used to put on a cassette player. And I just turned it on and I sang the melody that Dean is singing and I played the chords. And that was it, man. And we laid it down and said, no, no, just just lay it down. We got it live drums, live bass, and then I wrote the outro the next day. I laid down the verses and the B sections first. And then I heard all these um, like gospel harmonies coming in. And I think I was really kind of, to be honest, man, I was um, moved by one of the tracks on Perry's Traces album. Hmm. It was doing more of that gospel background, answering things to the lead vocal. And so I came up with the melodies. I came up with the, all the backgrounds. I quadrupled each background part. And it sounded really freaking good, you know. I did it on quite a few songs. A Beautiful As You Are, the, all those cascading vocals. It kind of sounds like a before Narda does his drum solo, seven and a half minute song. It ends our album. <laughs> yeah. I came up with those chords, the kind of alienish, weird rhythm chords where, you know, the notes fall uh, just to break it up and the drum beat kind of breaks everything up. And so I go, I remember back to, you know, Evolution, how Steve did these cascading where nothing fell at the same time. Mm -hmm. One note would hang here. The other one would come Mm -hmm. that and it would all move and they would cascade down or up. But nothing moved at the same time. That's what gave it that effect. And so I learned a lot, you know, just records with many people, not just Steve, but Steve was a monster in the studio. No shit. I learned a lot from him about how to work with a track. He knew so much as a vocalist and because it was, you know, in those days, nobody played with a click to make sure the tempo stayed. And that's kind of the magic and the beauty of the tracks is that it moves around magically, you know? Right. But Perry made Smith nuts, man. Uh, around the time we were doing Frontiers, he started with the stopwatch that right? he was in his producer. <laughs> getting ready to go there before Raised on Radio, right? Uh-huh. And he's got the stopwatch in his hand. And he's like timing the verses and the chorus. <laughs> and he's like, Smith, you slowed down there. The second chorus is, is slower than the first one. What are we going to do? It's like, sounds fine to me. You're like fighting. So Smith and Gergis, oh, you think it sounds the same? Watch. Watch this watch. And so he times it. And he says, see, it's like, you know, a couple seconds different than the first one. So Smith, he takes the watch, the, the timing watch out of his hand, and he throws it on the ground and he smashes it. Jumps all over it, right? And it was just a funny moment. But okay, Steve so goes, watch, watch what I do. He's going to show us that he's he knows how to make it sound better because it was yeah. so. It was one of the courses to one of the songs. The first one was leaning, was more in front the drums. So when he sang it, 
he sat in the back of the drums like a lot of a soul and R&B singers do. They never sing in the beat. They sing on the backside. This what opens up everything, makes everything feel like it's moving forward. The second chorus came, as Smith did, he slowed down on it. So what he did, he goes, watch what I'm going to do. His <laughs> superiority, right? <laughs> out there, and he goes, watch me grease this track. Those were his exact words, and he goes out there, and he leans the vocal in front of the drums to make the track feel like it's moving. Oh, wow. And very, because he played drums, and he played bass, too. So he knew how to actually manipulate that and make it sound like it was going faster, even though it was slower. Or make the fast one sound normal by pulling the vocal back. So there's all these little tricks of the train. Not only did I learn from him, but everybody else that I work with. That is fun. We go in the studio now because you have a zillion ideas to try on anything that you're creating. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Let's talk about, I wanted to kind of ask you about the most famous song that you and Steve wrote, of course, Don't Stop Believing," And just a little bit like, this has now become one of the biggest songs ever. I mean, just unbelievable. Anytime you play this song, I mean, we play it as our entrance song for our gigs every night because everyone knows the song, they're singing along and then, and then we come on stage and everybody's excited and partying. When you wrote the song and now over the 40 years it's existed, does it blow your mind how huge this song is? And, and obviously you never know when you're writing it, but I mean, tell me kind of your thoughts on this monster you created. I swear to God, and tell me the truth, Chris, we thought, we all thought the song was great, but we thought the whole album was great. Mm-hmm. Right? And we were listening to Near Close final mixes of our album. Of Escape, yeah. I recall uh, Mike Stone was still with us here on Earth. Kevin Ellison, you know, they, they co-produced the album together. I recall listening back to Don't Stop Believing, and I go, I think this song is going to be bigger than anything. And I said that to the band. And then they released it as a single, and it wasn't. But then we'd play it, and it would get a reaction. But so would Stone to Love. Every one of our songs, even if they weren't hits on the radio, Stone to Love at that time, when we had AOR radio, <laughs> was a massive hit on AOR radio. Uh, so you had AOR radio for the rock stuff, then you had AC for the ballads, you know. And now it's just whatever. Everything, yeah. Everybody yeah. wants to listen to They plug their box in. That's right. <laughs> you, know, screen, you know. Well, I knew that that song was going to be big back then. Little did I know that it was going to take that many years for me to be right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you saw the other night, you know, I got offered to come down and... Um, play, you know, with Cody Lee on uh, America's Got Talent. Yeah, I heard about that. Teddy Swims. They they uh, did a really beautiful, different arrangement the producer did with strings. Uh, we didn't have strings live on stage, but we weren't playing with drums or bass. It was all strings. Both singers sang amazing. Cody 
is, is a talented kid. And it was really like moving for me to go support these guys. You know, they treated me with such respect. Simon, everybody in that show. So I felt really good about just sitting off on the side. And even if there wasn't a lot of guitar in the mix, because there was nothing crunchy to compete with. You know, there wasn't big drums, it wasn't bass. And it's about the voices. So I was like, both these guys sing their asses off. And so I'm, I was just happy to be there and support them. Especially Cody, he's got a special, you know. But that's what you're saying. They're playing that song because everybody knows Don't Stop Believing. I mean, it's gone. What is it about the song that has created this huge you know, movement? What do you think it is, Neil? I think it's the song itself, the melody, the lyrical content, the positivity of, you know, believing yourself, the hope that everybody wants to have. It could be you, it could be anyone in the world. It's the message, you know. But it's also, it's really crazy. Teddy swims. You know, I just met this kid, and I've been following for the past four years on the internet. And I'm going, this guy has some major freaking pipes. I swear to God. And I go, he's he's a soul singer, and he can really freaking sing. I heard the best soul singers in the world. Rita Franklin was my all-time favorite soul singer out of everyone, you know, out of everyone in the world. And she's still a queen, you know. But sure, yeah. this guy, man, moved me when I heard his voice. And my wife and I watched him for four years. And then when I, I heard him do a little snip of Don't Stop Believing, right? All of a sudden, he's got 550 million streams. Jeez. We just journeyed <laughs> with the original version. We just passed... One billion streams, God. you know, at the beginning of uh, or the end of last year, for all those years to go by, and have him come out of nowhere, it was wild because his keyboardist that he's working, I can tell he's like a gospel guy, and so when I went to learn this arrangement and played it with him the other night, the chord changes are not going ding ding ding, <laughs> you know, like our record, they're just bam. Bum, bum, but really great chord inversions. And so when I heard the chord inversions and I heard Teddy singing on it, I go, wow. You know, and it moved everybody across the world. Mm -hmm. It was fun to play it completely different the other night. The only thing that threw me for a loop, and we played it so many times that day, you know, in rehearsal and then doing the camera shots before the real show because we went live for real, when we played it live. It was an all-day affair. And everybody did it perfectly uh, that day, but I had to really make conscious notes during the show because the chorus, the second chorus, my guitar solo always comes right out of it. Yeah. And so when I was listening to it at home, I kept stepping in check because <laughs> I hear the last chord and I go, but and then there was this big breakdown. It was like, got it right. Teddy got it right. Cody got it right. We got through it. And then we get to the guitar solo that I usually play by myself. And I was actually burning up a little bit more than I did that night. But he kind of threw me for a little. He got so wrapped up in that it was live, you know. And he couldn't believe he was on stage with both of us, Teddy. 
and he sang over the guitar. <laughs> you never do that. He goes, oh, isn't that just like a singer to sing over the guitar? So they go, play more, Neil. And I'm like, dude, this is TV, okay? This America's Got Talent. It's not about guitar solos. I was lucky to even get to play anything at all, you know? I was happy to support them anyway, but yeah. it, was, it was a great experience. We're going to work in the future, man. I, I enjoyed meeting both of them. Cody is up in Vegas. You know, they got him a, a residency at the Luxor up there in Vegas. And it turns out, you know, we're going to be up there something to try to swing by and see him. Maybe sit in. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Last few things for you, man. I just wanted to ask you about about Don't Stop Believing. You played it third in the set on this tour, which I thought was very interesting. What was your mindset for that? The mindset was, for me, I never thought it was a closing song. Mm-hmm. I closed with it for many years. And I felt like it's, you know, it's a mid-tempo power ballad. <laughs> Not a rock, rock song. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like a set closer for me, even if it's the biggest hit in the world. It's not the end of a show for me, you know, to have the right kind of adrenaline for me. That's cool. And so we ended up doing a residency this year in the beginning. And uh, we played at the New Virgin, you know, Hotel that used to be the Hard Rock. And we did, um, I don't know, four to eight shows there. I can't remember exactly. The idea of the show is we were going to replicate the greatest hits exactly the way it goes down on record. Gotcha. And so on the greatest hits record, or on, I believe it was, you know, the escape record, it came third. Mm-hmm. That's where it happened. And I, I ended up loving it. And I was like, let's just leave it there. Um, because, you know, we got plenty of stuff that can follow. It's not like we don't have any other hits. Right. And that are more up-tempo. So, you know, Seth's got a little more style to it now. It's a little more up-tempo. You know, I think the audience loves it that we give it to them early. Because then you're not depending... They're not waiting through the whole show like, oh, I know what they're going to do. They're going to play it. Ah. Right? So you give it to them. They're going to like, wow, what are they going to do next? Now what? what are you going to yeah. do after that? <laughs> right? Last couple of questions for you, Neil. The new record, like I said, Freedom. What is your favorite song on the record? And last question, what is your favorite song to play live after 50 years of being in Journey? Wow. Okay. So Freedom, you know, We've got so many different directions on this album. We've got some familiar sounding stuff and some unfamiliar sounding stuff. I'm going to go with the unfamiliar sounding stuff on this record because the way I look at it, and Arno loves that stuff too because it allows him to be himself mm. without trying to sound like somewhere that we've been in the past. That's a familiar place. We realized we had to have some stuff that sounds familiar. Otherwise, it's like a little bit too outside all of a sudden just to go, hey, you know, I mean, I'd love to be the Beatles and go with the White right. Album. Everything really changes radically, but they didn't play that many live shows. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we had a lot of reaction from people. That's know? right. 
And there was a lot more records than us back then. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna go with um I'm gonna go with an unusual track, you know. I like um holding on. <laughs> I wanted to open a record. I did a sequencing for this record without Johnson. Mm. I went in a day before by myself with the engineer at Pat Rawls studio. I sequenced the record completely different and I started out with a baseball bat. Okay. <laughs> I opened with holding on. To me, that was like, wow, you're gonna hear something different on it was, you know, raises the eyebrows. To me, if I was a fan, I'd go, wow, I want to hear what everything else that's on here. So it's funny, you know, Sammy Hagar and I've been great friends for a long time. I sent it to him like about a week before the album came out. And he writes me back in his usual Sammy thing, you know, skin, because I don't know what the f you're doing, man. He goes, you know, you got all these slow fucking songs in the front of the album. He says, then I get to the middle and he kicked my fucking ass. <laughs> and he goes, I think he should have opened with holding on. <laughs> it's funny you said that because I said the same thing and that's exactly what I have. But then I went in with John, you know, the next day and he goes, no, we can't do that. We got to, you know, be safer and, you know, start out with the piano. Yeah. Together with Rosway song. Uh, I don't still don't think it was the best opener for the album. A lot of people now I've heard have said the same thing. Mm. There's a lot of reviews and interviews I've done now. Very good interviews that just came out. And a lot of the reviewers lived with the record. And they said, my favorite tracks are the ones that are very much unlike Journey on this album. It's a new you know, it's a new chapter. Makes sense. Yeah. You got holding on. You got come away with me. You got let it rain. And you got all day and all night. All good Which songs. has got a really cool, funky R&B almost uh, with Randy's bass playing. But that company vibe. You know, my vocals, those are all my background vocals. <laughs> so I definitely get that stuff, you know. How about your favorite song to play live? Ugh, man. You know what? There's so many, man. You know, and it kind of varies from night to night. But I love lights mm. because it just holds a, a sentimental place in in my heart for how early it came with Perry. You know, it was the second song I ever wrote with them. And that's become, if you see the show now, I mean, Lights was small-time single on the radio. But it is like a national anthem now. Mm -hmm. It's like, don't stop believing, man. I mean, if you look up the gig that we played this year, we'd never done the Houston rodeo before. And I didn't know what to expect. <laughs> you know, to our Asian. Because everybody does it. I mean, you know, Santana's done it. Beyonce's done it a bunch of times. I'm thinking to myself, oh, I don't know what this is going to be like. I swear to God, 70, we sold out in second flat. And 72,000 people Jeez. singing, lit up. I go, just about San Francisco, light it up. And now everybody's doing that <laughs> in every concert. And, and it's like, you know, I see Coldplay do it, but it was different because Coldplay hands out the sticks when you go through right. and you show them their ticket, right? So they come on at a specific time. That's right. When I said, light up your lighters, take out your cell phones, light this place up. You know, for lights, they did it, L72, and they sang at the top of their lungs. And so you can look at it on the internet, and it's kind of mind-fucking. <laughs> how big that song has become. 
even though it wasn't a major hit, it is live. Mm. It gets sung just as loud, if not louder, than those Apollina. And so that one, had, I have a sentimental thing about that. But, you know, I always love playing separate ways. I love playing Stone and Love. And I actually love, for the lack of playing new material in our set, I love the solo spots that we get every night where I just kind of noodle. Mm-hmm. It's good to play. Laying down a drone and I like just like kind of wailing away and playing with the audience. And they come unglued. They love it. Dude, it's so great talking to you, man. You're an awesome guest as always. And it's, it's good to connect with you. And congratulations. Journey's bigger now than you've ever been. We're, we're, we're heading out the 95 degree <laughs> angle. Uh, we just proved ourselves, like I said, in, in, in selling uh, arenas again. And now AEG is totally stoked. And so we're, we're going to do the same thing like I was telling you. And we're going to move into bigger, hopefully, like um, stadiums by the end of the year. And then we have 24 playing that. I can't really talk about with who, but we paid, played with them in the past. And we sold out stadiums. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're planning on doing. And then 25, I want to go inside again and do an evening with. It's amazing, dude. Like I said, and the funny thing is, I think people forget how young you are, even after you've been doing this for 50 odd years. So you still got a long way to go, man. <laughs> you know, I love what I do, Chris. That's the only reason I'm doing it, man. I don't do it for any other reason. Yeah. If I couldn't do what I love to do, who knows what I'd be doing, but I may not even be here right now. Right. You know, I have that fire and I have that aspiration to keep moving forward. I love the exchange with the audience. How can you not love your fans when they are like our fans, you know, and they like, they just so supporting. And then you see the young fans that you're drawing in. It's so inspiring, man. It's kind of just like mind boggling that after this many years that a band that started way back when we did almost 50 years ago, that are still here and completely relevant and still selling tons of old records, new records, but tickets like crazy. Mm. And merch. Well, dude, I appreciate talking to you. And hopefully next time you guys come to town or I see it, we'll get to hang out afterwards and have a, have a drink. Absolutely. I don't drink, but you know, I drink water. Yeah. You come back. <laughs> I'd love to see you. Absolutely. Thanks, brother. Good seeing you, man. Thank you. It's great to see you too, man. Have a great day. Take care. Thanks, thanks Neil. Bye. Thanks for the birthday. <laughs> that was funny. My wife told me the story. You know, <laughs> happy birthday. Oh, yeah. I was- I'm not Chris, what'd you get him to do? <laughs> I had to do a couple takes. <laughs> That's, awesome. funny, man. That's great. You're welcome, man. Appreciate Anytime. It.